May I invite your attention to the 17th chapter of the Gospel of John. You follow um, in your copies as I read you the first five verses um, of the Gospel uh, of the 17th chapter of the Gospel of John. So, John 17, at verse 1, reads like this. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given to me to do. And now, O oh Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, that endures forever. Uh, you, you don't know it, but I just, I just threw you a curveball. Um, and I owe you an explanation. Uh, John 17 is really not my text. <laughs> but in a roundabout way, it, um, it leads us to or, or introduces us to my text, especially verse 3 that I read you. And this is eternal life that they may know you, life, life, even eternal life in all of its beauty and all of its, all of its profundity is ours via knowing God. Um, do you see that? This is eternal life, that they may know you. You know, I, I'm not so sure that we believe that. Uh, there, there are certain things that we know about God that we really like. I mean, for instance, um, all that, that, um, that forgiveness stuff. We, we, we like that stuff about forgiveness. But there are other things that we know to be true about God that we're, um, that we're not real sure about, that we're not uh, real comfortable with. Um, not only do we not understand them, we don't even like them. Uh, for instance, um, we've been told all our lives that, um, that God always gives, gives to us things that are good for us. And, 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 but the problem becomes or arises when my definition of good and, and his definition of good uh, somehow, um, you know, they, they don't match up. Knowing him is what I need. Okay, I get that. 
But very honestly, uh, some of the things that I have found out about him in this process of getting to know him frighten me. They, um, they're baffling. And, and I'm not real sure that I, I like some of this. Uh, I, I, at least I can say this much. Some of the things that I found out just downright surprised me. But guys, what did you expect? What did you expect from deity? Or getting to know deity? You know, one of the things that I love to say, I've said it a lot, and, I, and I'll say it again. Um, it, it goes like this. It's pretty simple. It says, um, whenever deity touches humanity, there's going to be mystery. Um, now, guys, I, I have said all of that to introduce us to our new series. Um, we're going to study the book of Ruth. But let me warn you right now. You're going to be in for some surprises. Like this. Um, God would have his people to treasure him above all else. Okay, we know that. That's, that's, that's not surprising. But one of the ways that he effects that um, which you're going to see right away in the book of Ruth. You're going to see it in chapter 1. One of the ways that he effects having us value him above all else is that he removes things from us that have become God's substitutes to make room for himself. Did you hear that? God would have us to value him above all else. Okay, I got it. But one of the ways that he affects that is that he removes things that have become God's substitutes in our lives so that he can make room for himself. You're going to see that real quickly in the book of Ruth. And the thing in the book of Ruth that he removes to make room for himself is family. Through, um, through her pain, Naomi's pain, that's recorded in chapter 1, what, what God does is that he awakens Naomi to the realization that what she really needs, what she's really missing, is knowing God. That she has mistaken lesser pleasures... For the greatest pleasure. She and we are pursuing things which cannot satisfy. And so, and so God removes it. Now that 
may surprise you. May I suggest that the process of knowing God, which is eternal life, is going to be full of lots of surprises for us. What I'm hoping is that in this study of the book of Ruth, that not only will our our knowledge of God deepen, but that it will also prepare us for um, some of those surprises. You see, guys, part of the reason that we find some of God's ways with us so baffling is because is because our walk with Christ, our 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 worship, our obedience, our Christian life is is just our way of convincing God to to restore or perhaps preserve my happy life. A, a, a life that I define often in terms of career or money or, or kids or marriage. But God's designs are, are far bigger than us returning to a happy life. His, his goal is redemption. Um, re- redemptive change, Christ-likeness. Knowing God, clinging to God, like, like, like Jacob did at Peniel. Do you remember that story in, in Genesis 32? Do you remember that story where, where Jacob wrestles with God all night? Do you remember that? It's in Genesis 32. It, it takes place in a mount called Peniel. And Jacob wrestles with God all night long, and, and he can't win. And so finally God touches his hip and dislocates his hip, and, 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 and Jacob uh, loses He gets his name changed from Jacob to Israel. And Jacob walks away from there limping. And he loves it. He loves it that he lost. I'm saying, guys, that there is a similar scene in the book of Ruth. But it doesn't happen until chapter 4. Um, coming to the place where I lose to God and love it. It, it. it was a long time coming in the life of Jacob. It's a long time coming in the life of Ruth or Naomi. And it's a long time coming us. Jacob left Peniel with a limp. My hope is that through our study of the book of Ruth, we will all leave that study limping and forever changed and loving it. So, so how do you get to that place? How do you get to the place where, um, where you believe that knowing God is your highest good? Well, this book, 
is going to answer a bit of that. And, and along the way, we're going to be confronted with some pretty, let's just call them surprising features about this God. Um, l- l- let me mention just a few of the things that are in store for you. Uh, first, God never promised to minimize your pain in this life. <laughs> wait, 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 wait a minute, Jimmy. Um, uh, what about that, uh, that, uh, that, that abundant life thing? Ah, there's the rub. You see, my, uh, my definition of an abundant life doesn't match his. How about this? What does it mean to hope in a God when living in such a broken world where God seems so remote? Why, Jimmy, I, I, I've been praying for, mm, fill in the blank. I've been praying for this, or I've been praying for that. I've been praying for the other. I've been praying for months, even years. And you know what? I've got to show for it. Disappointment. Or how about this? You know, guys, often our biblical strategies for... um, for the abundant life, you know, the, uh, the godly parenting or our strategy for financial security or a meaningful marriage or a happy home, those strategies oftentimes are, are designed to help me feel now what no one is going to feel until heaven. But, but wait, 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 wait a minute, Jimmy. Um, aren't I supposed to be? Um, aren't I supposed to be having a good time? <laughs> you know, you know, guys. I honestly believe that sometimes the only difference between Christians and non-Christians is our strategy for producing the good time. God is often no more to us than a means to an end, and if He fails to come through. then maybe Anne Rand was right when she said, enlightened selfishness makes sense. And perhaps unconsciously, that's, um, that's exactly how many of us are living right now. Just pursuing enlightened selfishness. One more. How do I trust a sometimes disappointing, seemingly fickle God who fails to do for me what a good friend would do for me if he could? I mean, would would you go back to a doctor who said that your pain was a good thing? Who inflicts pain on people that he loves? God does. Did you know that about him? Guys, my task 
is to show you what's in this text. But hopefully, by our so doing, God will get bigger for all of us. And if he does, then some of those disconcerting questions that we have will have a will have an answer. And maybe, maybe if we're lucky, we'll all be left with a limp. But for now, know this. And this is eternal life. that they may know you. Now, the book of Ruth. You might want to turn there. Um, It's brief, four chapters, 85 verses in total, 55 of which are dialogue. It's a story. It's It's a literary masterpiece. It's a story that is designed to say, gather round, boys and girls. Once upon a time. The book opens in verse 1 of chapter 1 this way. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land And a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to dwell in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. Now, so the the book opens by telling you when it takes place. It's an event, it's 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 a piece of history that takes place during the days when the judges ruled. Now, when was that? Well, if you'll flip back one page in your Bible... Guess what? You're going to be in the book of Judges. Now, you remember that. You remember what what the book of Judges is about? Um, Moses is dead. Joshua, he turns it over to Joshua. Joshua is now dead. And so Israel is left with really no kind of leader after Joshua dies. And so there's this cycle that goes on in the book of, of, of Judges where they fall into idolatry and are oppressed by their enemies and they cry out and, and God delivers them and they fall into idolatry and they, and they are oppressed by their enemies and they cry out to God and God delivers them. And he delivers them each time with these guys called judges. Not kings, Judges. These are dark days in Israel. These are are days of oppression and cruelty. They're days of moral collapse and chaotic um, living. They are so bad that the book of Judges closes with this statement, a very somber note. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's said over and over and over again in the book of Judges. And then when the book comes to close, this is the summation. In those days, there was no king in Israel. And so everybody lived what was right in their own eyes. Those are the days in which the book of Ruth takes place. 
those days of chaotic moral breakdown. So the book opens by telling you that it takes place in the days of the judges where there is no king in Israel. And then the book of Judges closes, excuse me, the book of Ruth closes with this simple statement. Obed begot Jesse and Jesse begot David. The book opens by telling you that I'm living in a period where there is no king. And then it closes with a reference to the one who would be Israel's greatest king. David. David, the one who would foreshadow the coming of the king. Was was David the final king of Israel? Oh, of course not. The, The book, the book of Ruth, ends with this brief, nice little genealogy which begs the question, David? Whatever happened to David? Well, this book of Ruth wants you to think about kings. It's a story. The book of Ruth is a story that makes numerous references to the city of Bethlehem. You know, the, the, the story starts in Bethlehem. There's a famine and they go to Moab and they come back to Bethlehem. You know, it, it's, it's just classic irony, ladies and gentlemen. You know that the word Bethlehem, you know this, the word Bethlehem means the city of bread. But we're told immediately in verse 1 that there's a famine in Bethlehem. The city of bread has no bread. And so they go to, they go to, uh, they go to um, uh, Moab, and they live in Moab for a while. And while in Moab, um, some terrible things happen, which we're going to read a whole lot about. But... Um, what is this big deal about Bethlehem? The book wants you to ask that question. What's the big deal about Bethlehem? And then it goes to Moab. What, what do we know about the Moabites? Well, (laughs) oh me. Um, The the Moabites were a people who had their origin in in an incestuous union between Lot and his wife. Excuse me, Lot and his daughters. You remember that story? Genesis 19? Remember it? Uh, It was the angels uh, visited Lot and his family in the city of Sodom before God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and, and Lot had two daughters, and their, their husbands thought that their father-in-law was some kind of fool. And so they made fun of him, and they stayed in the city of Sodom and were destroyed along with everybody else. And as, as Lot and his wife and his two girls were, were heading to their, their, their new place of residence, 
Lot's wife turns around and she looks longingly after Sodom and she turns into a pillar of salt. And so, so Lot and his two daughters, they finally get to, the, um, to their, new, their new hometown, this tiny little place called Moab. And these two girls look at one another and they say, we're toast. I mean, what's going to happen to us? We'll never have children living in this tiny place. There's, there's, nobody, there's nobody here. unless We're going we're gonna to end up childless if we don't come up with some kind of scheme. And so they come up with a scheme, all right. You remember the scheme? They're going to intoxicate their father. And they're going to sleep with him on successive nights. And that's what they do. They intoxicate Lot. He sleeps with his two daughters on on successive nights and impregnates both of them. And then when the first girl delivers, she delivers a boy. And she names him Moab. And he would give rise to a nation of people who would ultimately lead Israel into idolatry. Numbers chapter 25. And yet, it is a Moabitess. A Moabite. A a woman from Moab who does everything according to the law of God. And it is she who becomes who becomes the mother of the one who would then have another one and another one and she would be a relative of David Israel's greatest king by the way Ruth Ruth ends up in Matthew 1. Matthew, you know, the New Testament. Matthew. What's she doing over there? Well, because Matthew 1 opens up with this genealogy of Christ. And so there you have the names of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Judah and David and Ruth. A Moabitess. This is a culture that is dominated by men. And yet it is two women who become the heroines of the book. Naomi and Ruth. Oh, you remember Naomi, don't you? She's the one that lost her family. And it is her pain, ladies and gentlemen, that is front and center in this book. Chapter 1 of the book of Ruth is a tragedy. The, the, The story of Ruth indeed is a literary masterpiece. But it begins. It begins in tragedy. Now, 
Let me tell you three quick things about Old Testament stories, and we're off and running. First of all, guys, um, Old Testament stories are always to be understood at three levels. The first level that you're supposed to understand an Old Testament story is simply on the, on, on the level of this, this factual, historical information. The Old Testament is giving you a story that actually happened. It occurred in time and space. You understand it on that level. Unfortunately, most people um, stop right there. They look for the moral of the story, and they, they read a story like Daniel in the lion's den, and, 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 and they say, well, it wasn't Daniel brave. All right, boys and girls, you go out and be brave. Well, guys, that's just the first level. The, 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 the second level on which we are to understand and read every Old Testament story is that every story is a part of the greater story of God's covenantal relationship with Israel. Guys, there is more than one widow in Israel. All Israel is without a husband. There is no king in Israel. Because God's bride has gone after other husbands. There's no king. But but, but what what about God's eternal promise to Israel and his people? How how does this story on the book of Ruth end? It ends with one of the widows in Israel. Married. Just one of those widows finds a husband. Reminding us that all of Israel needs a husband. Guys, Ruth ends up married to Boaz. And she becomes, or they become, the means, the instrument through which God provides for Israel a husband. A king. A redeemer. For widowed Israel. The word redemption or redeemer occurs 23 times in 85 verses. And in this book's closing words, we get a whisper, a faint whisper. of the husband who will one day come. David. Thirdly, all stories, all Old Testament stories point to the story about God's 
intentions to save a fallen race by the gift of his son. You and I are supposed to read Old Testament stories through a lens of the New Testament. In Christ, God has provided a redeemer out of Bethlehem. Out of every corner of the Bible, Jesus emerges. It's the old, old story. Christianity has come to us as a story, not as a theory or as a philosophy or a science. It has come to us in the gospel story. We Christians, we are to see our lives as, as smaller stories in the grand redemptive story that God has written. Now, one other thing, and I'm done. You know, many of you around here who have been around here a while know that I have, for 42 years of ministry, avoided the book of Revelation. <laughs> it's true. I have, on purpose. And I've avoided it for the same reasons that one of my heroes avoided it. I don't understand it. I, I, I understand the first three chapters of the book of Revelation. I, oh, I got those down. But, but something happens in chapter 4 that, for me, changes everything. And I'd like for you to see it. If you've got a Bible, open it to the book of Revelation, chapter 4. It's only one verse. I want you to see what it is at, that, at least for me, changes everything in the book of Revelation. Let me read it to you. This is Revelation chapter 4 at verse 1. After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Do you see what's happening, ladies and gentlemen? Do you see what, what, what I mean, do you see that what you're giving, given in verse 1 of chapter 4 is the location of this vision that John has? This visionary experience that John has, it takes place in heaven. That is, he, he has his, his location changed. And, and, and he has it changed because he can, he can see things there that he, that he simply can't see with clarity down here. Guys, in, in my telling of this story of Ruth, my hope is, My hope is that this story will invite you to come up here. Come up here and see things about God that you have never, ever seen before.
My hope is that in the telling of this story, that the story will turn in on you and the story will ask you, do you know this Redeemer from Bethlehem? Because, ladies and gentlemen, To know him is eternal life. And then to you who already know him, tell me, my friend, what do you intend to do with this knowledge of the great Redeemer now that you have it. Nothing? Then you must not have it. Heavenly Father, uh, would you grant me grace to teach this portion of your word with such power and effectiveness, uh, authored, generated by God the Holy Spirit, that it will turn in on us all, asking us, inviting us to come up and view things about our God and his Son that we have never known before things that may surprise us, things that may shock us, but things that will give us a limp. Things that will alter us forever and that we'll love having been altered. But Father, for those who are here this morning and who have not yet, who have not yet seen this Redeemer out of Bethlehem, would you would you, cause, would you open their eyes to see the great beauty of this Redeemer? Would you cause them to see that there is no other Redeemer? There is no other way to avoid this everlasting famine except through Jesus Christ. That apart from Jesus Christ, we will starve forever. Would you... Um, Would you enable many to see that simple truth? Now, Father, um, prepare us for the surprises of getting to know you better. But oh, how we long to know you and the Christ whom you have sent. Indeed, it is eternal life. And we pray, of course, in Jesus' name.